0: So who here has ever wanted to be looked up to, to have authority over people, to be considered the best in your team or the best at what you do in your workplace? I know I have. There have been instances where I have overestimated my ability and so therefore I've set myself up for a fall. And that's what ego does. And when this happens, the fall stems from us blowing our own trumpets and not having the tools on our belt. On on our belts to back it up. Today we're going to look at a story from the Gospels where two of the disciples make an ambitious but ego-filled request to Jesus and the resultant response from Jesus and the other disciples. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that you would speak your words through my lips and that the things that you want to speak to us through your Spirit, that we would hear you and we would listen. In Jesus' name, Amen. So over the next two weeks, so today and next week, I'm sharing a two-part message titled The Buried Life. Now I'm going to assume that on hearing that, some thoughts might be that this is going to be a message that rebukes ego and says that we need to bury sin in our lives. While I am going to talk about the negative role that ego can play in the Christian walk, I won't be talking about burying sin because that means it isn't dealt with. Rather, I want to look at what we as Christians bury because of how the world works and what society deems acceptable. See, I got the title, The Buried Life, from a TV show of the same name. Now, in this TV show, there's four guys in their early 20s and they make themselves a bucket list. And in each episode of the TV show, they they go around and they try and tick off one of the things on their list. And in doing so, they meet a whole bunch of strangers and they help them to tick something off their list as well. So it's a really cool concept. And what these guys are doing is living life to the full, not letting the worries of life hold them back, nor letting their own will get in the way of helping others. See, they don't serve themselves, but they serve each other and complete strangers. It kind of sounds a bit like what we talk about at church, yeah? you see, as Christians, I believe we bury the notion of surrender and obedience a lot of the time. You know, we surrender in the sense of battle where we just put up the white flag and say, I can't do this, to the ebbs and flows of life when we should be surrendered to obedience. You know, for me, sometimes when things get too hard or it's unpopular, it's really easy to go into your shell and go, okay, God, that's, that's not for me right now. You see, I didn't grow up in a Christian family, and so when I felt God calling me to coming into full-time ministry and working at a church, I really didn't want to talk to my parents about that. I didn't want to tell them, I didn't want to just let on that that's what I wanted to do. And so for a long time, I, I stalled at uni, I was studying different things that I really wasn't interested in because that's what they wanted. But the thing is, when we do the things that other people want or that we want, We're walking away from the potential that God has for us. And, you know, it could be because of media perceptions of Christians and of church these days. But the thing is, it's so easy to let ego get in the way of a good story. See, we often start things with good intentions and with the promise of following through with what we've said we'll do. But somewhere along the journey, we lose our way. What we do isn't so much about... What we can do for others as opposed to what they can do for us. And as the late John Fitzgerald Kennedy, former President of the United States, said ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And this very notion is addressed in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. So it starts, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, Jesus, and they said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. First off, how cheeky is that? They're going up to their rabbi and their teacher, somebody that they should be respecting, and they're treating him like their personal genie. Talk about ego. And it continues, and he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Imagine you're one of the other ten disciples. How would you feel? The question that these guys have asked, they're essentially suggesting that they're better representatives of Jesus. And they're more righteous than their brothers. And again, it's the height of arrogance. And so Jesus responds by saying, you do not know what you are asking Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. I feel like Jesus knew that they'd respond that way. I guess that they just figured that the reward of being seated on thrones at the right and left hand side of Jesus was worth whatever came their way. And the thing with Jesus is that he's true to his word. And so, James. Well, he became the first of the apostles to be a martyr for Jesus. So talk about drinking the cup that Jesus drank. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptised, you will be baptised. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. So Jesus highlights here that while he is God, he is obedient to the Father's will. Whatever God ordains and builds, no man can tear down. And Jesus, in saying this, maintains the unity that he always has with the Father. And by doing so, encourages his disciples and encourages all of us to live in that unity and that obedience with the Father. And when the ten heard this, they began to be indignant at James and John. Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. See, Jesus called the disciples bluff. He knows that the reason the ten were indignant was because they themselves also desired that position of authority and power. They desired this as they felt that that was the goal of the Christian walk how many times could they misunderstand what Jesus was coming to do? And here's the kicker with Jesus' response, starting at verse 43. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be the first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many." And here Jesus lays it on them. That if they want to truly be great, then they must put themselves last. I kind of consider this statement from Jesus paramount to the navigational guide for Christians that I like to refer to as GPS. And that's God, people, self, in that order. And it's in these last few verses where the real buried life, to me, appears. You see, what we see in this passage of Scripture is how spiritually undiscerning the disciples were. See, they'd been around Jesus for a considerable amount of time. They'd heard his teachings. They'd witnessed him ministering to people and with people. But they still misunderstood what true greatness is and what true obedience was. See, like the Pharisees, they saw greatness as a position and the ability to be above other people. And while Jesus calls us to be greater, what greater looks like doesn't come from that place of position and being above people. It comes from a place of surrender and letting God work in your life. You see, many were and have been led into a trap by thinking that Christ's kingdom is of this world. James and John concluded that if Christ was to rise again, well, He's a king, which he is, and that if he is a king, then they as his disciples would be lords. They looked at it from a worldly perspective that when Jesus came, he's going to sit on this throne, rule over the world, and we're all going to be here and have our own little spaces and things to do. But that's not necessarily how it is. You know, We all have our own little area and little thing that we are in control of, and that's what we need to be obedient to. You see, chasing glory isn't something that typically works out well for people. Let's talk about Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. See, he and Moses were practically brothers, and Pharaoh was fixated on continuing his father's legacy and then surpassing it. So he was so focused on chasing glory that he neglected the truths that were in front of him. He thought that he was basically a god and that he should be worshipped. Hence, one of the pyramids has his face carved into it. And he wouldn't listen to anyone else. And as the story goes, Moses discovered his true identity and purpose in God. And then he went to Pharaoh and asked him to let the Israelites go. But Pharaoh, staunch and egotistical as ever, rejected Moses' request and continued in his ways. And this resulted in Pharaoh losing everything. See, in chasing glory, Pharaoh lost his son, the person who represented the continuation of his heritage and his line. He not only lost someone he loved, but he also lost his legacy by being disobedient. And So going back to Mark 10, worldly honour dazzled the eyes of Christ's own disciples. And it still happens to his people today. We should seek to be good and imitators of Christ rather than looking great or having supremacy over people. And the thing with obedience is that it isn't always meant to be easy, comfortable, popular, or even manageable sometimes. I guess that's why we bury it sometimes you know we're meant to rely on god for some of these things we too often get distracted by things of the world and surrender ourselves to chasing those rather than surrendering to what god has laid before us this might sound bad but as we see in verse 38 jesus wants us to be prepared for the fact that we may suffer because of our relationship with him we need to surrender ourselves before him And let him give us the rewards, not actually chase those rewards ourselves. You know, a few weeks ago, we heard Mike Gore from Open Doors come and share some stories from within Iran and the Middle East. We heard some incredible stories, some that were heart-wrenching and some that were super inspiring. You know, I was challenged over the level of obedience and the ability that some of these people have to surrender all before God in the circumstances that they're in. You know, maybe because I live here in a first world country where things are a little bit easier and there are so many more material distractions, I sometimes feel like I don't surrender enough. The thing is, everyone has a different circumstance. We can't compare our circumstance and our level of obedience to other people because we are in our own lane, walking our own race. See, we are called to different things And therefore, obedience looks different to each of us. So I'm not called to move to Africa and the Middle East and be a missionary, nor am I called to work in a coal mine. What I am called to be is in full-time ministry, however that looks. And so my obedience is doing all I can in my lane to answer the call of God in my life. And for, for others, it's traveling overseas and being a missionary For some, it's fostering children. For some, it's working a nine-to-five job in the marketplace. Whatever it is, we just need to walk in our lane and be obedient to the thing that God has laid before us. For none of us is greater than any other because we are all children of God. So when we understand where our identity comes from, we can make the choice of obedience Which then unlocks our purpose and when we action the obedience, we walk in our God-given potential. And So in verse 41, we see what the response of the other disciples is and they become indignant. Not so much because of what James and John asked, but more because they went and asked the question before they could. The disciples showed their own ambition through their response. And Jesus, as he usually did, took this opportunity to issue a warning and some correction. And so he uses an illustration of the nature of worldly politics. And we see it all the time here. You've got the one figurehead who just throws their authority around and and tries to walk over everybody else and expects everybody else, give me your love, give me your attention, and I'll do this, I'll do that, etc., etc., You know they they chase people to get their support, so that their own pride and their own self adulation is built up, rather than actually contributing to society. The words that Jesus says that really stand out for me are, "But it shall not be so among you." You See, this statement from verse forty three is Jesus saying that He will not permit this kind of behaviour. And those thoughts to be a part of his church. We are to be like shepherds who tend to their flock, nurture them, feed them and be their servants. Rather than like horse drivers who flog and beat them and work them into their ground to get their money's worth. As Jesus elaborates, he highlights what one must do to be truly great. That's be the servant of all. We must be diligent and not cease in doing good for people and consider others better than ourselves. A fun fact about me, I love the cold. And Em will tell you that she does as well, except when it's time for bed. Now being a human heater, I'm warm on the inside but cold to the touch. Now I do love my wife and I am generally pretty nice to her. But it's hard to resist that moment of self-gratification of putting my very cold feet onto her as she's trying to get to sleep or sometimes to even wake her up. Now, it's not serving her and it's probably not being obedient to her, but it makes me laugh. And sometimes it's in these simple little things where we have to check what our attitude really is. See, obedience is a conscious choice we must make and even this morning I had that as we were driving to church this morning there was a message from Mark Connor on Light FM and if you've heard Mark speak he's very eloquent and he's a very good communicator and teaches things well and here I am sitting in the car going well he said that really well maybe I should maybe I should listen to that and write that down and say it that way or or maybe I should not say this and and I was talking with Em about it and the thing is Like I've said, I've got to stay in my own lane. The thing that God has communicated to me is the thing that I need to come and communicate in the way that he has given me to communicate and not worry about what somebody else does. So Shane Willard visited us in August and he talked about how some of us have buried talents and aren't using them fully. And My message today isn't quite the same as him, but it does go Hand in hand. See, for whatever reason, we allow life to get ahead of us. Whether it's ego and chasing glory, whether it's insecurity and a desire to live from our own protective bubble. We hide our fears, can wrap ourselves in self-pity. And we have a habit of being so fixated on ourselves that we miss living life. So it's about our perspective and choosing what we surrender to in life. See, we have to learn to make decisions from a place of confidence, not arrogance, and there is a big difference between the two. And we need to know whose we are, not who or what is ours. So, Forbo, can you come up here, please? And you're going to need to take your jacket off because you might get a little bit warm. So who here is familiar with the story of the walls of Jericho? So we have Joshua undefeated in battle with a loyal army. He hears from God about the strategy for the next battle and calls his troops in. Now if I'm in his army, I'm confident in my leader because of his proven success. But on this night, something's different. As we enter the tent, Joshua proceeds to tell us that the plan is to walk around the walls of the city seven times, sometimes in silence, other times playing instruments, and at others shouting praises to God. So Forbo, what I need you to do is I want you to run around this middle section of the church three times. Seven times might take too long, but three times. First time in silence. The second time, run around while you're clapping. The third time, I want you to run around yelling praises to God. Okay. So, off you go. You see, sometimes the thing that God asks us to do doesn't make sense. And it stirs up our insecurities. You see, I know Forbo doesn't like being the centre of attention. So this is a struggle for him. And for, so, and for some of you... And for some of you... Seeing Him do this, does it change your perception of Him? Good job, Formo. Thank you, Forvo. And that's the thing. Whose perceptions are we surrendered to? The world's, our own ego, or to the will of God, whatever that may be or whatever it looks like. And you know, there may be someone here today who said to God, that they won't come to church again unless there's someone here today who starts running around in church for no real apparent reason. Now, I'm not saying that that that's any of you here, but put it this way. Who's missing out on a meeting from God if you aren't obedient to what he prompts you to do? And what are you missing out on by not being obedient to his prompt or his call? We need to get serious about our walk with him, church. Remember, it's God, people, self. See, God created us for a relationship and he desires that with us. But ego doesn't allow for that, nor does fear. So who are we to insult God with selfish thinking and safe living? Jesus calls us to greater things than even he has done. And so seeking that, not for our glory, but to be obedient in order to glorify him is what we should surrender to. I don't want people to feel condemned right now, not at all. I'm on this journey as much as anybody else. The journey of digging up the buried life that we are called to and then actually actioning that and going out and living that. And the thing with God is that he isn't a dictator and he allows us the choice of whether we are obedient Or we take a different path. We just aren't free of the consequences. You know, I think of Lot's wife when Lot, his wife and their family are are told by angels to flee Sodom and Gomorrah and to, to not look back. And so Lot's wife, she's running and then she stops and she turns around and then the next minute she's a pillar of salt. So her consequence was that she turned into a pillar of salt because she wasn't obedient to what she was asked See, like the Israelites were when freed from slavery in Egypt, we're on this journey. And sometimes we have to go through a famine, whether that's physical or spiritual, or even a storm, or through something that breaks our heart. And it's in these times that our ego or our insecurity kick in. But that doesn't mean that God is any less present because we're in that famine. He never gives up on us, So why do we, when things get tough or when things don't go the way that we want, why do we give up on him? Why do we bury the things that he's given us? Like James and John in our scripture for today, we sometimes forget that God knows what he is doing and that Jesus never wavered from that plan. We have the example before us of what obedience is. So why do we doubt that or try and turn it into something that we think it is what it, rather than what it actually is? So Hebrews 11 verses 1 and 2 says, Faith is the confidence that we hope for and assurance in the things that we do not see. And that's what the, the ancients were commended for. And my focus here is, is on the, the second part. That is what the ancients were commended for. So, you know, those that have gone before us understood the importance of obedience and faithfulness. They were prepared to forego comfort, their ego, their livelihoods, sometimes their safety, and even their reputations for the sake of God. And they hadn't even seen or met Jesus, yet they were still obedient to their call. And they still put God and other people first, no matter the perceived risk consequences or what others thought so why did it take until after Jesus was resurrected and ascended for his disciples to actually get what he was teaching why do we waver in obedience and look for a, a better option you know one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is is Daniel when he's arrested by the king for for publicly praying to his God and he's thrown in the lion's den and then You know, nobody comes out of the lion's den. Next morning they open up the gate and here's Daniel just Sunday stroll, just walks out and goes, hi guys, I'm I'm still here. But he was obedient to what God had called him to do and that was to pray and to give glory to him. And as a result, the king then was all for wanting to learn about who this God was that had delivered Daniel from the lion's den. And so when we're obedient, we give people that opportunity to experience and meet God and to live in obedience and to live in this relationship. And even Abraham led the way. You know, he and his wife had, had tried so long for a child and they tried to do all these different things. They go and he sleeps with his handmaid and has a son, but that's still not the promise that God had given him. So finally, Isaac is born, but following the prompting and direction of God, Abraham was fully intent on sacrificing his son. He fully trusted God, even to the point of sacrificing the gift of God in his life. And you know, sometimes God asks us to sacrifice the very thing he has promised us in the first place. Are we prepared for that? Could we live with contentment if 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness? Could we live with contentment if that's what life was? Salvation, which is God's grace, and nothing more. Could we be obedient to God if that was the only blessing that we received? And So as I dwell on the story of the walls of Jericho, I try to put myself in the soldier's shoes. Could I trust this man who trusted God? You know, it was easy when it's straightforward and go, pull out your sword and just cut down a few guys. But when things were strange or challenged my ego or made me look silly, could I actually walk that? Could I live that? You know, Mary laid everything on the line to follow what God asked her to do in giving birth to Jesus. It was a weight that few could carry. You know, she's carrying the Son of God in her womb. But then there's also the perception of her community. She's an unmarried woman who's betrothed to someone, and all of a sudden she's pregnant. Joseph would have freaked out. And then you've got the society. She could have been stoned for it. But she was so set on following God that nothing was going to weigh her down. And so when we are truly in line with God, it allows us to fully accept the things that he has for us. See, we are created to hear from God and therefore created to listen to God. And as someone who didn't grow up in the church, it's very clear to me which voice is God's and which is mine. Which makes God disobeying, which makes me disobeying God even worse. Because I can't argue that I didn't know that it was him that said that to me. See, we are to live lives of surrender, to be surrendered to obedience. And this unlocks a life of abundance in God. So why do we bury this life? And So how do we live this buried life and make it the norm? Can I get some keys, please? Well, first and foremost, our identity needs to be firmly set in God. We need to, as our theme for this year says be in him obedience is both making the choice to listen and then choosing to act on what we hear and so a, a story for me for how this has worked this year is th- this is the first year i've taken part in first fruits and it's it, it's always been something that i've struggled with i've i've thought oh if i could commit to this i'm going to be in a tough financial spot and even this year em and i were debating about it and and we couldn't commit and i just had this sense that we just need to do it and so we we did it we committed to the payment every month for four months and we put that in and it and it it hurt a little bit because it, it put us under a little bit of strain but the thing with god is that he honors that the next day after first fruits i was lucky enough to preach at a burmese church Uh, the worship at those places is incredible by the way so if you ever get the opportunity to go to a burmese church do it because the worship is incredible now i wasn't expecting to receive anything at all from speaking it was a great opportunity through a friend of mine who goes there Anyway, at the end of the service, their pastor comes up and gives me an envelope and just goes, thank you. So we get into the car and I open it up. And there's the money that we'd contributed to First Fruits right now, pocket the very next day. So, and even then, I, and even now, I still struggle. And that was six months ago. I still struggle to completely surrender to God and be obedient, even though he has given this massive sense of blessing and I know I'm not alone in this, that God comes through for us and there is a struggle. But that's what we have here. We have a community, a family of believers that where we can encourage each other to chase after God, to be obedient, to surrender to the things of Him and to live and walk that way. We need to spend time hearing from God in His Word, His Spirit, and this this is how we mature in our faith and we grow in our understanding of who he is and that's the key in being obedient if we don't understand who God is how can we know if it's his voice calling us out upon the water or calling us to minister on the front lines or even calling us to pray for a stranger in the street you know most importantly though we need to know Jesus Jesus We need to understand what he sacrificed and endured for us in love. He was beaten, broken, shattered, silent. He gave his life so that we could live. And as we accept him, we accept his commission to take his gospel into the world. We also need to reflect Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says we are all ambassadors for Christ and an ambassador is a representative of an elected official so when he says that we are his ambassadors we're his representative in this place and so if we're not obedient to him or living for him who's going to So we need to ask ourselves how much we want Jesus. Are we prepared to let him in? If he says to us, do you want to build a snowman? Do you want to go outside and just sit under a tree? Regardless of of how crazy it might sound, are we ready to do that? And are we willing to do that? Are we prepared to let go of our ego and become a servant to the people around us? Are we prepared to step into the promised land, welcome the kingdom of God here on earth and pursue and live the buried life? That's what I'll be sharing on next week, how we actually action this. You know, we've talked about today how we can choose that point of obedience. Next week, I want to talk about how we action that. And it's not an easy task, but that's why God gave us his word, his son, his spirit and this community. So let us surrender ourselves afresh to obedience to God and not to the world. So I'm going to leave you with the challenge to think about what God is calling you to obedience in. What's the thing that you've buried that He wants you to dig up? And next week, we're going to spend a good bit of time in prayer.